Quantum Conversations, your portal to the inner realms. Access infinite possibilities, infinite mastery, and infinite love. Mind-expanding, heart-opening conversations with some of the greatest spiritual teachers, luminaries, and healers of today's world. Usher in new earth by living in your sacred heart. Quantum Conversations is brought to you by AcousticHealth.com, home of music from the universe, online healing retreats, and this program. Claim your free registration to daily shows at AcousticHealth.com. AcousticHealth.com, your portal to the inner realms. Our program starts shortly. Welcome to another Quantum Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I invite you to sit back as we enter the Quantum Realm, that space of the greater part of you. It is your connection to infinite possibilities, infinite potential, and infinite mastery. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are back with Peter Panagor, who is a mystic in his own right. His story is one that is remarkable, yet we don't have to experience what Peter experienced, a near-death experience, to understand what our role is in evolving humanity. And so we are here to talk with Peter once again. He's going to answer your questions, and we're going to talk about mysticism, the near-death experience phenomena, and the great global awakening that is occurring. Let's welcome Peter Panagor back to Quantum Conversations. Hello, Peter. Hello, Loren. Thanks for having me back again. It's good to hear your voice. It is always wonderful to hear your voice. And the message that you share for our listeners is always one of inspiration, hope, and, wow, miracles in a way. You are really great at how you can explain the current energies of our planet and our role in it. So let's talk right about what's going on on the planet right now, maybe in the collective, and the evolution that's going on, and how you're hopeful because of what's going on. Why would you say you're hopeful? Well, because there's a new thing happening under the sun the first time in the history of humanity. We've had the great opportunity to actually do what we've dreamed of for thousands of years because the great global awakening is actually happening now. And the craziest part of it all is that it has been driven by science, medical science in particular. And the what I'm talking about is that about 60 years ago or so, and I'm a beneficiary of this technology, cardiac care came online in an advanced way. And the first heart patient was saved or resurrected in some cases, in 100 million cases globally. Mm -hmm. 
And as this technology developed and spread, it kept raising the dead around the United States and then across the Western world and then globally for the last 60 years. What I'm talking about is cardiac care and the fact that medical science has created 100 million, maybe, near-death experiencers globally, mm. 10 to 20 in the United States alone. And they're making mystics. That's what's going on. They're making high-level, in many cases, mystics, people who have been in the divine presence itself, separated from their body. The cord is cut. And they're in the divine presence, and they have a great number, a variety of experiences uh, within certain sort of rubrics, I guess, would be a way to say it as far as I can tell so far. Um, but tens of millions of us come back with a message of love, and that's the crazy thing. All over the world, people, atheists, Jans, Muslims, uh, shamanistic people, Christians, Jews, doesn't matter. It, it, doesn't matter who you are. You leave your body, you die, you leave your body, you go into the presence of the divine by any name, Allah, God, Christ consciousness, uh, you know, universe, whatever, you, because not a single one of those words comes even close to what it is. It has no name. That's why the, the you know, in Hebrew scriptures, the, the word was translated Yahweh has no vowels because it's unpronounceable. It's the unpronounceable name of the divine. So anyway, Around the globe, there's this great global awakening. It's been going on for 60 years. And maybe 20 years ago, um, maybe 30 years ago, a couple of books started getting published. And then more books started to get published. And then um, 40 years ago, the International Association for Near-Death Studies started studying this from a scientific point of view and began gathering data and gathering NDEers, near-death experiencers, um, together. And now we are a, a group and there are books and documentaries and movies um, and, and conferences and dialogue and the Internet. And that is the biggest part of this is because because we, my, my peer group, my NDE peer group, near-death experience peer group, we're all talking to each other all over the world. I've had conversations with people all over the world. There's even a group in Iran, a group in Israel was talking to the group in Iran. That's what mm. we're talking about. And it's a message of love. Even in your, you've had two near-death experiences, and we invite listeners to go back in our archive for your first quantum conversation. That was profound, and it brought hope to so many. And it was a revelation that you did this for love. You did it for love, all of it. Every sense you came back for love. So when you see atheists and they go through an experience where they're in the presence of the divine, what is their take on this? They've love. changed. Mm -hmm. Love. Mm -hmm. I have a friend named um, Jose. He was an atheist. And uh, he died and he came back not one. You know, he didn't become a Christian. He didn't become join a religion. He understood the divine nature of his own self in the presence of the the unlimited divine. And he came back a new person. It doesn't. It, it it's indiscriminate. It has nothing to do with belief. 
that's never really had anything to do with belief. Belief is sort of an opening for lots of people. It is not sort of. It's an opening for lots of people. Belief is, but it's not about belief and it's not about knowledge. It's not about how many books you've read or how much you, you understand about your past life or, or whether or not um, you have the correct theology. None of that is relevant. What's relevant is love. And that's the treasure that is so human and available. And it's the one we take home with us when we go. All the love travels with us. Nothing else does, but that does. And so I have, I have two of my dearest friends of my life are atheists. And they've been atheists forever. And uh, we've been friends for a long time. Uh, I I am never interested in trying to convince them or anybody else. I'm not here tonight, and I'm never speaking to make anybody believe anything. I'm not here to convert or to convince uh, or to um, reason. I'm just here to tell you what I know. And you guys can take it or leave it. And that's how I how I treat my atheist friends, which is why they're still my friends, because I am not trying to convince them or convert them. Um, and they love me as I am, and I love them as they are. And it doesn't matter. Some of my atheist friends are the most, quote, Christian people I know, end quote, because they are radical humanists. And they are they live kindness and they live generosity and they live uh, compassion in a way that a lot of religious people I've known in my life, and I'm an ordained minister, I've known a lot of them, um, but never <laughs> never been a believer, uh, not since I died. Uh, so that makes me sort of an atheist, because I'm not a believer. That's kind of mm. another weird Yeah, thing. that's kind of a weird one, because you've been in the divine presence. Mm-hmm. So for those who are new to you, um, very quickly here, you know, the first time, again, your story is quite amazing. When you were in the divine presence, can you describe what that was like? Well, I, I, I always may, I stumble over my words here because there are no words there. There's no, mm-hmm. there's, I, there were no things there. My best word to describe it when I first came back was nothing, no thing, no reference point. There's no reference point there to any other thing. And mm. so to describe it in language, the only uh, way that mystics in the history of the world, including Jesus and Lao Tzu, uh, they all, and Rumi, they all talk in metaphor, metaphor and simile, symbol and myth. Uh, that's the way, that's the only way it can be spoken of because you can never put your finger on it. So I describe it this way and, and knowing that it's metaphor that I'm speaking, that love is this, love is this unity. It's this unity of all these, um, fragmented things on earth that are all the good things it's it's goodness and beauty love joy hope truth understanding knowledge wisdom beneficence charity awe uh, adoration the, the list goes on and on and on and all of those things unity singularity unlimitedness infinity uh eternal and light and love it's all one thing it's very difficult to to, to think that if I told you to define the word truth and you defined the word truth, and then I said define the word charity and you defined the word charity, you'd see that they were de- two different definitions, but not there. 
there they are the same thing. They come from the same place. They are the same thing. It's a, it's home. It's, it's, it's end of suffering. It's healing. It's forgetfulness of suffering. It's welcome. It's joy. It's understanding. It's being understood. It's, it's nothing hidden. Everything revealed and being beloved. Even so, it's knowing that you're created by creator and that you are part of creator, but, but less than creator at the same time in this paradox of being made of the same substance, but somehow limited in the face of unlimitedness, unless you fold it into it. And in even folding into it in a state of union where self vanishes completely, you're I still, I talk about me, I was still somehow not fully infinite because infinity is so big, but I was in union with the oneness of, of the, the, of the monad, the, the singularity of, of intellect, of power, of, of refreshment. I, and all of that's metaphor, and none of it comes close. It's times a hundred billion zillion, mm-hmm. time, uh, and and then that's squared. It's just so much more. Yes. Well, it's amazing that the cardiac care that you mentioned is raising the dead, hundred mm. million near death experiences. Some, you know, even chatting with um, someone in my family. Um, didn't quite have that much of an experience, but did see a light and did feel leaving the body. What would you say for some who might not know what to navigate in that space? Or what would you say for those who might not think that they had an experience? Uh, Those are uh, big subjects, and I'm happy to talk about them because that's one of the things that I love to talk about. Uh, there are there seems to be levels of and this is I'm not a research scientist. There are research scientists on near death experience, but this is what my my understanding is. I read them and I pay attention. Is that there are seems to be levels of near death experience, and one of the levels of near death experience is when you just leave your body and you don't go far and you come right back. Mm-hmm. And you leave your body, you see light. Maybe some people don't even get that far. Some people just leave their body and they end up in this place between it's which is a a darkness it's a void i i I know that space and uh then they pop back in their body and and what they know is that they're not their body anymore and the people who go to the void and not any further who don't actually see the light they're like the orphan children Uh, they're like mom mom and dad are dead and and there's there's only darkness beyond but but they hadn't gone far enough if they had gone further they would have seen for themselves but what they do get is that they they know their consciousness inhabits their body, that they are that their consciousness does, the body does not create consciousness. Consciousness inhabits, and the people who like your your family member who saw the light, and and felt the love, that's a, the the beginning of profundity. That's that's where you come back and you not only know that you're not your body, you know that love and light exist on the other side. And and once you see that, uh, it's it's disconcerting, it's disturbing because it upsets the perception of reality here. So you you now see with two eyes, but 
Like, okay, you now see, with, but only one of your eyes is on the inside and the other's eye is on the outside. And you see the world as you saw it before with your outside eye, but your inside eye, it sees, it knows it touched and was touched by light and love. And that is an attractant that never lets you go, especially if you look for it from then on. So they've been given a gift. And if they're able to take their their breath and their mental focus and apply it to the memory, to the to the feeling and experience of that time, they'll find that it's a doorway. And that doorway just keeps opening the more you the more you aim your whole self at the oneness of being, the more the light comes into you. And it's a phenomenal thing. I've lived my life this way. Um, and I kept my I kept my mouth shut for 20 years about near death experience, and I kept my mouth shut about my inner life for another 20. I'm only now starting to talk about my what I've learned over 40 years of practice because because I finally feel ready. And one of the things I'm ready with is that you don't need a near death experience to have a mystical experience because a mystical experience uh, because a near death experience is a mystical experience. Near-death experience fits into the category of mystical experience as a type. And there's all sorts of types of mystical experiences. And a, a common type of mystical experience is a, maybe the most common is in grief when someone is mourning the death of a loved one and that loved one comes back to them in a dream or in a waking state oh. and communicates directly love, forgiveness, hope. Uh, eternal, you know, connection, whatever the message is, it's telepathic, it's non-linguistic, and it's life-changing. Because the, now that person, who, uh, who uh, the living person who gets the visitation, and let's say they were an atheist, because this happens. If they're an atheist and they don't believe in life after death, now they do. Now they do for this person, or they live in conflict about it. Now, my brain says, my brain says it can't be, but my heart says it is. Uh, and that's an opening. But lots of people who already are people of belief, uh, they shift from belief in the afterlife, which is basically, I don't really know. I just put all of my intellectual cards on the table in this one thing, but I don't really know if it's real or not. I just want it to be real. That's belief. But experience is getting a communication directly to your soul. And once you have an experience of a dead loved one coming to you, you know they're not dead. And so you may not know about the rest of heaven or anybody else's afterlife, but you know that your loved one is living. And that's a, that's a life changer. That's, that's, if you're on a compass and you're, you're, you're sailing and you're looking at your compass, and even if that's only one degree of change over a you know, hundred miles, that one degree is huge. And so it doesn't matter the intensity of your mystical experience. If you if you use that mystical experience as your doorway into the divine, your course is totally changed. And by the time you reach your destination, which is your, for me, is my death, third time's a charm, I hope. Um, I will have I will have lived an entirely different light, a life of light, than I would have mm-hmm. had that not happened. And that's true for. I think that there's more mystical experiencers than there are near-death experiencers by a long shot. That's my guess. Because, because these, these, these visitations from the dead, it's, 
audience, you should know that I have a background in mainline Christianity. And in mainline Christianity and in American Christianity, you're not supposed to get a visit from the dead. They're not, you know, if you get a visit from the dead in Christianity, it's the devil. But, but, you know, half the people in churches have had these visitations and they know it's not the devil. They know it's love. They know it's their loved one. And so they live in these, uh, con- they live in conflict with their, with their faith. And, and so there's a silence in our culture where we're, where we don't talk about these things, these mystical things, um, that so many people experience, but nobody talks about. So tell somebody, tell somebody. Mm. Talk about, mm-hmm. it. Talk about it. All right, so let's define a mystical experience. I love how mm. you said, because people are having them and they may not even know it. Mm-hmm. I know for an example I'd love to share, and I think I may have even shared this with you in our another interview, is that when my stepfather transitioned, we mm-hmm. were the greatest adversaries in this lifetime. And I really didn't want him in my dreams. And he came in my dreams pretty much like after day four or five of his transition. And he came in a number of them, three, I believe. (laughs) Mm. And it was such a healing Mm. uh, aspect for me Mm -hmm. because he didn't have any of that energy. At first, I was kind of like, you're not, I don't want you here. But Mm -hmm. he just sat there pleasantly and he looked really young like Mm -hmm. he was 27 Mm -hmm. and he just radiated love and I want to cry right now because that right there shifted the whole thing shifted my attitude and it really allowed for deep forgiveness Mm. so that would be a mystical experience when you know in your soul all right and here's another example a mystical experience we could say synchronicities right would you say Mm -hmm. synchronicities, Mm -hmm. or when we see the numbers aligning or when you look back in hindsight and you see how things flowed so smoothly, that's understanding something much more multidimensional than us. Would that be what mysticism is? Those are, there are levels of mystical experience and, and signs are mystical experiences, but they're, they're not as, they're not as powerful as a visitation where the direct communication comes into your heart. Mm. It's, it's so I'm sure you've seen signs. I've seen signs in my life too. And I look back over my shoulder and I think, yeah, I think of this time that I was, I was whitewater canoeing with this buddy of mine and I was up in the bow and we were a little, it was a little above our class and we took, we ended up taking the one route through the rapids and we had made a mistake. I was in the bow. We would have done dumped it. But, you know, looking back over my shoulder, I thought, gosh, how did we do that? How did all of that line up? That is so complicated. And mm-hmm. so, and it, it, you know, it, but that's the way things go. So that's a little different than, than having a visitation from the dead or Jesus showing up or some angel encounter of some kind or an out of body experience or an indwelling where you're, where yourself is eliminated. Um, and so I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you the, the William James Varieties of Religious Experience. It's a book, uh, published at the turn of last century. And James was, 
Henry James's brother, the author, but William James, he may have been the, he was the father of psychology in the United States and was one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. And anyway, in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, he defines mysticism this way and it's, it's very applicable. He gives it four, and I'm going to put them in my own words. He gives it four characteristics. Uh, mystical experiences are transient. They have a beginning and an end. Mystical experiences are passive. They happen to you. You don't make them happen. They happen by grace in Christian language. Mystical experiences are ineffable. They are unspeakable, but they leave, number four, they leave inside your soul wisdom which uh, a term, a 20th century term for that is noetic knowledge. An ancient mystical term for that is wisdom. And wisdom in, in, in and of itself, in the same way that heaven is unspeakable, wisdom is unspeakable. And so when you told me the story of your visitation and healing, which is beautiful, there you go. Your uncle stripped off his human self and became his higher self. And, he, and now he gets to just shine the light at you. He doesn't have any mm -hmm. of that you know, stuff that wasn't really him. And so when that happens and you have this, this healing, you use the word healing and forgiveness, but I bet those words are like a Hallmark card compared to what you actually feel, which makes you cry. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is, it is, you, we cannot, it's the nature of a mystical experience that you cannot contain it in words to convey it. It's and if you can contain it in words to convey it, then, it's not a mystical experience <laughs> unless you're using metaphor or simile or myth or symbol. Uh, and, uh, you know, here I am putting it in words, but but also saying at the same time, it's nowhere near what the experience is. It, th these are mere words. And so there are four components to a mystical experience. Transience, passivity, noetic, and ineffable. And if those four things, so if you had... Um, if if you had an out of body experience uh, that you didn't that you didn't direct, you get plucked out of your body and you're carried by an angel, and that's just another metaphor for a hyper intelligent, powerful being of love. And those are metaphors. And if an, if you had an out of body experience and the angel carries you into a divine no uh, what heaven where you get some knowing or you're shown a vision or you understand what's going to happen um that's a mystical experience if if you're driving your car and suddenly there's a a a being next to you in the front seat and you know whispers in your ear turn left here now and you do um that's a life-changing thing too so there's a lot of there's a lot i, I don't know all of the kinds of mystical experiences because every single mystical experience is custom made for the individual because God is compassion. So much compassion that the divine, the source, uh, the oneness approaches us as we best need, as best is for us to gain some new understanding. And so that's why there are so many near-death experiences, so many types, so many experiences. And that's true in the mystical literature. So that this is not a new phenomenon. This goes back centuries and centuries and centuries because every single mystical genius, Meister Eckhart, uh, Rumi to name two, Julian of Norwich, uh, they all use the language of their time and place and education 
to and religion in their cases uh, to convey the ineffable and 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 it always gets filtered to the body because the because the mystical experience primarily happens to the consciousness first and and the consciousness inhabits the body and then it comes through the the consciousness into the body and through the brain uh and then it's it's one step away from what it is as soon as you as soon as you realize it it's already kind of too late it's already it's already gone through a filter and so the message of mystical experiences isn't about the processing of the of the experience in like a therapeutic situation and going over it in detail although I do this too but that's not going to make me understand it anymore it might give me a you know some understanding of what I what my brain experienced but the truth of the message itself you already got that in the moment that it happened and the usefulness of that truth is that it never goes away if you choose to look at it with your breath and your mind and your heart and your soul it will become a door for you i know this because i live this this is what i do in my life I, I I I use the doors, the gifts that have been given to me, and I seek I seek the giver, not the gifts. I don't. I, the gifts are all this on the material world. I'm not even from here. Why do I want to? Like I'm a renter. I, I don't want to invest anything here if I can't help it. I'm going I'm to invest everything that I have, my breath and my and my heart and my soul and my mind, in the divine treasury, um, because that's in, in the divine self, which is the treasury itself. That's beautiful. So for those who want to cultivate this mysticism within themselves, is that possible? How would you suggest that we do that? I know there's, you know, the the, the, school, the skills that we can, the faculties that we can build, the inner spirituality, the inner eyes, but we can open ourselves up to this without a near-death experience. Is that right? Yes. And, 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 and there's basically two ways that this kind of thing happens. It's either through practice of, uh, contemplation, and I'll talk about that in a minute, or divine grace. That's kind of the only two ways it happens. Um, uh, but, well, there's a, there is also, uh, uh, hallucinogens, according to John Hopkins University and the studies they're doing there with trans, uh, transcendental experiences. But uh-huh. um, right, we could talk about that if you wanted to. But what traditionally, was the first one? The, um, uh, it's contemplation, which is uh-huh. which is basically. So after my near death experience, I got to tell you a little story. After my near death experience, I I didn't go. I was an undergraduate, and instead of going to graduate school in architecture, I went to graduate school at Divinity School, and I studied mysticism. And the reason why I did that was so I could find language for myself to figure out what had happened to me uh, and who my peer group might be and did they have any tools for me to use to find my way back home again. And so there are lots of tools in the world, uh, mystical tools. I, I have chosen a set of mystical tools for myself. Uh, Zen in the Art of Archery talks about archery. Um, Zen in the Art of Painting, uh, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, <laughs> types of yoga, uh, Rumi's Sufi dancing and the, the rabbis at the West Wall, you know, bouncing back and forth. It's, there's all these different ways of, that are, that have been handed down over centuries within religions, uh, to 
for contemplatives and they've been basically kept out of the hands of the general population because mystics are dangerous to institutions. Um, and I, I, we can talk about that a little while too, because they're non-dogmatic and, and they don't follow the rules. They're non-doctrinal. And the reason that they are these things is because they've learned to shut off their minds. And that's what contemplation does. So you've got your monkey mind that's screaming inside you all the time or telling you stories or singing you a song or, 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 or worse, you know, telling you how bad you are. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible thing to have a loop inside your head. That can lead to despair, which can kill you. And so... It, it exists beyond our control. So I, I fell into the school of silence. And I began before my near-death experience because uh, I was a natural-born mystic and some things that happened to me as a child. I had the great fortune of learning what was then called contemplative meditation and became centering prayer. But it was a mashup of Theravada Buddhism from a Massachusetts Buddhist school in Western Massachusetts and Barrie, Massachusetts, and the St. Joseph's Abbey Trappist Monastery in Spencer, Massachusetts. The monks at the Abbey realized everybody in the 1960s was headed over to the East for uh, meditation, and they were kind of quitting the church and like, well, don't we have God too? Because these guys, these guys radiate the divine light. I, I know, I knew them. And, and so, because in 1977, my religion teacher, I went to a Catholic prep school, my religion teacher came and taught my senior class how to meditate from these guys in the first class that they taught for people outside of the monastery. And so I took to it immediately. And it's a super simple practice. But the goal of the practice is silence. It's not mind wandering. It's not imagination. It's not listening to music. It's not using all these other meditative tools that are available and useful. Its aim is, is to silence the duality inside your head to eliminate the false self, to kill the egoic mind, to die before you die so that when you die, you do not die because you've already touched the silence itself. And so it's a super simple practice. Uh, I've been practicing it for 40 years. I sit in a, you know, traditionally I sit in a Zen style, but these days I'm sitting in a chair because I'm in front of a camera when I do it. Feet on the floor, straight back, hands on my lap, phone's off, room's dark, nobody's bothering me. I got 20 minutes. I set up a timer for 20 minutes and I use a prayer chant and I repeat my prayer chant over and over and over with the focus of my mind on my breath as gently as a butterfly on the palm of my hand. And I let it ride down into my belly, my second chakra, and back up to my third eye, and I write it down, and I write it up. And every time my mind wanders off, and it, it, 40 years of practice, it takes me time every single time. This morning I practiced. It took me a few minutes to rein in my mind. And But with this repetition of the same prayer for 40 years, it's burned inside of my subconscious. So it runs it runs there by itself all the time anyway. And so I can just bring it up to the forefront and then ride it until the words fall away. The words aim my heart at the divine, and the breath um, focuses my mind. And then the words fall away, and I'm left with a moment of silence. And in that silence, there's peace. And in that, pe- that peace is cumulative. It, it, every moment of silence, every moment of peace, builds through a lifetime. 
and it never goes away because unlike unlike things in the world you want something and you love that thing that you want and then you get this thing and what happens love for it declines but with the divine that is the opposite Every single moment of peace that one gains, every mystical experience that one has, every time the divine touches you, there's more love. It's just the opposite. There's more peace. There's more love. It's, it's abundance. It's abundance. And so I sit with my, in the darkened room with my little 20-minute clock timer, and I repeat my words, and every time my mind wanders off, every time I don't judge myself, I just begin to repeat my prayer again that's all i do and i ride my breath there's more to it than that but that's the that's the basics um because uh, i've added kriya yoga to it i before i went to divinity school i i was reading ferociously and i came across the yoga sutras and i uh, understood that kriya yoga that also yogananda taught uh, were, were that was a valuable set of tools for me and so i adopted them and i've integrated them into my my yoga practice and in my meditation practice. So there's lots of chakra work I do too. Um, but primarily uh, those are about silence as well. It's for me, it's, it's the silence that becomes my doorway. And the reason why I chose this is because meditative techniques uh, of the ancient mystics, they get handed down and they might m get morphed a little bit in each century i i've kind of created my own mashup but the but the rootage of it if the reason it gets handed down is because it works it would never be handed down for thousands of years if it didn't work and what it does is it doesn't it 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 kills my ego I mean, I still have an ego because I got to I got to earn a living. I got a family. I, you know, I got to mow the lawn and wash the dishes and all that stuff, stuff like, you know, which I do. But, but I but it's it creates a humility because there's less of me. There's more and more. There's less and less of me. And it's available to everybody. It's it, every, anybody, anybody, everybody, every, anybody, anybody can use their breath and their mind to focus on silence and, and, and calm their mind and, and stop the tape loops that poison who we are. You know, if you run that tape loop of I'm a bad person, I've done a bad thing, I am, you know, I was wrong, I, I live in darkness, it's hard to break those loops. They kill people. Meditation helps that. This kind of meditation helps that. It's not observing my emotions. But that happens also. I don't aim to observe my emotions. It's a little different from mindfulness, but it, it also incorporates mindfulness because, because as I focus in, on, my, on my divine singularity inside myself, my portal into heaven, I, I also get to observe everything else going on around me. I just can't focus on it because as soon as you focus on it, you're out of meditation. It's got to pass by. It's like... When I meditate in a crowded space, I can hear every noise and everything that's going on around me. I just choose not to grab it. And that's the same thing with the stories we tell ourselves. Meditation teaches us how not to grab it or let it grab us. I don't know if that was too much. Beautiful. No, it's the power of silence. And there's retreats that one can go on. Um, Vipsana retreats, if you want to put a label on it, or just spending time in noble silence. And it's very interesting to see.
see that shift within us when we're able to be in silence like that. I like to joke and say, show up, sit down, and shut up, because that yeah. really is the a doorway, a doorway to understanding and focusing on our divine singularity. All right, so that's contemplative meditation. You also mentioned divine grace. Yeah. Can you explain divine grace? Divine grace is that thing that happens, the, th- the thing that happened to you when your uncle came to you and communicated telepathically to you. That's divine grace. That's the, the, this gift that comes that you make no effort to gain. And it uplifts you and it changes you. And it's a, it's a gift. You can't make that happen. That's what grace is. It is a gift. And it's, uh, it, it comes in lots of different ways. It can be a, a rapture into heaven. It can be an indwelling of this, of the, of, uh, it can be a Kundalini awakening. That's a divine grace too. And yeah, you worked your tail off, um, practicing your Kundalini yoga, but you didn't make the experience happen. That opens up on its own. All you're doing is getting the stuff out of the way. That's what silent meditation is. You're not really doing anything. You're just getting the stuff out of the way for the thing to do itself. That's the, that's the, tr- that's the magic of it. Um, is that there's really no effort to it except for to quiet the things that are in the way. And so the, and once those, we thin, we can practice thinning the veil. In Islam, they, they say there's 70,000 veils. And so we practice layer by layer removing the veils. And meditation and other forms of spiritual practice do that. But, but then there's those times where the light pierces through the 60,000 veils that are left and, and hits you like a, a lightning bolt and, and gives you this gift that can, that changes you. That's grace. It's it's that which comes from above that you didn't cause. It just is a gift. Beautiful. It is a gift. And then you mentioned hallucinogens. That's very interesting. We're learning more about ayahuasca. How when folks uh, do ceremony with ayahuasca things in the physical addictions and such just simply disappear. Mm -hmm. And we've even heard from the quantum physicists that um, a woman, or one example, um, a woman who had been given a diagnosis that was not very good, she, it was an experiment in an LSD lab. Mm. And from that experience with the LSD, she saw her soul and she returned and her body was healed. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? What what's going on with the hallucinogens? Is it removing the veil? It's it it well, from the brain point of view, it's connecting all these parts of our brains that aren't normally connected. But yeah. Uh, so so but yeah, it's it's it removes the veil. And and what's going on? The thing I'd like to point to, uh, for for the science lovers, and I'm a science lover, uh, is the John Hopkins studies over the last ten years. They've been studying psilocybin, but ayahuasca, DMT, um, LSD. They're all over the world. Laboratories are experimenting, and what they're finding is is that it, at least at John Hopkins, the studies I'm most familiar with, that it helps at end of care life. 
because people have become no longer afraid of dying. It helps with depression. It can break the tape loop. It stops addiction, uh, alcohol and cigarettes. And the craziest part um, is that it's transcendental. And they did this 10-year ten, ten study on rabbis and ministers and monks uh, who had never had a mystical experience and had never taken hallucinogens. And it's it's published. You can look it up. It's the John Hopkins University uh, psilocybin transcendence experiment, uh, or Google something like that. And what they di- what they discovered is that is that it fits William James's four characteristics. They take a heroic dose in a clinical setting. These people are are aren't just you know, dropping acid by themselves, which, you know, that's kind of what happened in the 70s. That's what made it so scary is everybody's having these transcendent experiences. And the, the, the status quo was like, whoa, we can't have that. Um, but at this particular study, they would take a heroic dose after going through a year of psychological tests uh, and guidance and cure it with, they would take this heroic dose with curated music and with a, a blindfold and two clinicians in attendance to help guide them. And they would go inside themselves and they would face themselves and they, they have a, a, a loss of duality. They, they mm. experience the oneness of being and they come back and here's the real proof of it. They come back changed. They come back permanently changed mm. and their lives are reoriented because mystical experiences have after effects. The higher level mystical experience, if you don't have an after effect from it, it wasn't quite as powerful. Uh, it wasn't powerful enough. Uh, the powerful ones, they all leave a mark on you. And, the, and these, these uh, psychotropic experiments are leaving marks on people that leave them reoriented in their spirituality. And these, I, I got a, the reason why I found out about this study is because this guy contacted me. He had heard me on some interview that I did and he contacted me and, and he lived down the coast from me, 20 miles, 30 miles. And he said, can we have coffee? And he was in this experiment and he, he, he launched me on this journey to read and understand. And I'm convinced because when I was in high school, before my near death experience, I was suicidal. Um, but I chickened out and which is a, which is the way I looked at it from my point of view, uh, for family reasons. And instead I took a triple dose of mescaline and I met God. I'd already, in my childhood, I'd had mystical experiences that were comparable, but more powerful. But in this psychedelic exper- uh, uh, experience, God came through nature. It is the scene in, in, in the gospels where Jesus is going triumphantly into Jerusalem and the authorities are all upset and they say, they say, quiet down this crowd. It's Palm Sunday. Everybody's waving palms. And at least that's what the Christians uh, celebrated as. And he says, if I quiet down the people, even the stones will speak. And that's what was going on around me. Everything that was animate, the trees and flowers and well, there were no flowers because it was wintertime, uh, snow and trees and hills and myself were screaming, I am. I am uh-huh. everything. And, 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 and that's what launched me on my meditation life. And then when I had my near-death experience, I was like, that little thing that happened to me in high school, that was nothing in comparison. 
but I've I've come to the conclusion as a as a mature person that it was something and that there's a whole lot of kinds of mystical experiences and all of them are valid and all of them change us and all of them lead us ever deeper into the divine. And you say in general, this is what's happening more and more to the collective. Yeah, because there's, because it doesn't just happen to us. It's this, it's, I have, I have friends in um, the Dakota community and one of the things that this one man said to me is that in his culture, uh, mystical experiences are meant for the community. So, so whenever anybody has it, they go on a spirit quest or they do the, the sun dance and they have a vision, then they go in the, in the Anippi into the sweat lodge and then they tell people about it because it's not just for them individually. That's one thing. Uh, but the other thing is uh, much more powerful than that is that, and I know that I keep talking about uh, the Bible because audience, that's where my expertise lies. I'm, I'm, I'm a mystic with a Christian accent. So Jesus says, I am where two or three are gathered. I am there. And that's what I'm talking about is that, is that when you generate um, self emptiness, you create a container for the divine to magnify inside you. It then radiates out from you. And then when you encounter another person like you, it's like there's three people in the room. It's you your new friend and the divine energy and the divine energy is magnified between us. And so when I went to my first international association for near death studies conference, which, which I'm, and I'm speaking at one coming up in September, when I went to my first one in person, it was like walking into a bubble of light. There's so many, the, the, so many near death experiences radiating the uh, with the with the light a foot, two feet, three feet from them that it's like this big, huge bubble of of love. And I had experienced something like that in smaller ways in the monastery when I would go on retreat with these radiant monks, uh, but never like on such a large community level. And so I began to think about this and I realized that the more I practice my silence in my life, the larger my bubble of light becomes and the more it interacts with other bubbles of light. And, and when, when the two bubbles of light collide, it's not like there's a mass of times two, it's a mass times three or five. It's like so much bigger. And so on a, on a global consciousness level, because there are so many near-death experiencers now um, who are like, there, many of them are, are, are more like the mystical geniuses of the past, but not all of them. But there are so many of them that, and they all radiate the divine presence and at some level. Even if they just popped out of their body for a minute, they come back knowing that they're just not their body. There's still, there's still that energy of that knowledge going into the collective unconscious, kind of changing the planet. And so this, this global phenomenon that's been 60 years in the making and all the NDEers are talking all over the world through the, the, the internet. I'm, I'm pushing, I'm pushing the idea actively that because we're speaking out, all mystics need to speak out uh, or, or, or at least to somebody 
somebody near them. And the more we talk about it among ourselves, the more we can be open about the radiant light itself. I mean, we're, I, I don't talk about it to people, but I know it when I encounter it, and I know that it's bigger than me. And so with tens of a, maybe a hundred million of us, of NDEers, times twice that probably of other mystics, we got something going on here. And, and, and so the formulation of the language for communication of it is being, seems to have refined itself into a single word of love. And that is the, that is the, the binder for us. We, we all talk about light and beauty uh, and joy and all these other things, but love is this, it's like the password to heaven and, and it brings it here. It, 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 I live my life. Okay. The, one of the, the odd things about the, what happened happens to me is because I have spent my life in, in pursuit of this, my professional career and my personal life. I put everything into aiming myself at the divine while living in the world. It's, it like interacts with my world around me. Um, heaven, I, earth is, earth is so often like hell. But this divine light that lives inside me and, and leaks out all over around me, it brings heaven to my daily existence. I get to be, I, it never shuts off for me now. It never goes away. Yeah, I might have a terrible day. You know, things, three things might break in the house and, and the kid calls from, from the ER, you know, um, a bad day. And, but that doesn't shut it off. It, it doesn't, it, it, it the, the light continues to flow and that it, the more of us that let the light flow into ourselves, the larger the bubble becomes around the earth. And if ever there was a time in the history of humanity, because things are bad now, people, things are bad. As bad as things have been in the past, things are worse. And if ever there's been a time for us to find a way to destroy our individual egos so that we can unite in light and love this is it this is the time we need that um that we're so tribal uh our societies are built on individual egos and and if we can replace so many of us if we can replace ourselves with love even while living in the world and you know struggling in our relationships and all that stuff too because i do that too um we can change this place. We can nudge it. I'm hoping for a nudge. That's why I'm. That's why I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because there's so many of us now, and there's never been this many ever before in the history of the world. And that science is making many of us um, in this way. And they're not going to stop resurrecting the dead. It's just going to mm. get more. Um, and we have an opportunity. And. Yeah. I think it's built in individuals and it, I, I, I hope it doesn't become a religion. I think that would be a huge mistake. I, 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 it's, it's because it lives in individual hearts. It doesn't need to be a religion. If love can be the operative and it lives inside of everyone, it doesn't need dogma or doctrine or power structures or anything. It's, it's just a living, it's the living, it's the, the first, it's the goodness inside us living out through us. Yes. And you knew that. That's why you chose to return from your near-death experience. You did it for love. 
I did it for so life. we are being nudged. We are being nudged. Um, and I think it's becoming pretty evident out there. And I, I'm glad that you have such a hope because there is hope as more people become aware of how they really do create reality or the vibration that they hold is the way forward. Do you want to talk a little bit about vibration? Um, you're so good at maintaining your vibration and not letting yourself get pulled into directions of despair or worry. And that's important as we create our new earth. Yeah, it's it's not that I'm not concerned about, you know, for instance, some of my family flew out west this week and and then flew back. And I definitely had some concerns about, uh, you know, are they going to get there on time? Um, uh, are they going to get you know, bump into somebody with COVID? And even, you know, but I wasn't, but I don't, I know that this is all temporary. It's totally temporary. There's nothing mm. here that's permanent. Nothing lasts. Uh-huh. Um, and and because I know that, it's all great. <laughs> it's all like, oh yeah, it's it's more like it's more like being an avatar in a game. It's like that. It's it's like a movie. Um, I know that I'm. I know that when the day ends, when my day ends, I get to go home, and everything's beautiful and love. And that's true for every single person. So there's that. But in terms of uh, of of the divine presence being a constant, that is a result of moving out of the way, of getting out of the way. And so it's not like I worked at making it a constant. I didn't strive to make heaven here. I strove instead to get out of the way of the grace that can come. And and it and not and not decide what my vibration. Not trying to raise my vibration. I'm not trying to raise my vibration. Mm. My vibration raises as a result of me getting out of the way because because that's the what it is. Uh, that's what the is is. Uh, it, and so as long as as long as my I practice layer by layer stripping my ego, my false self. The more I do that the higher my vibration goes it. And so I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I can, okay. So I can, in my Kriya practice, I can drive my prana and I can inflame myself. I can do that. And I can, I can raise my prana up and I can, I can make it, I can make my, my, my aura stronger around myself. And, and I kept that a secret. Okay. I didn't, I didn't tell people that's what I was practicing with my Kriya yoga. But about five, four years ago now, after my my second near death experience, um, a mm-hmm. year after that, uh, some of the I had started going to yoga. I practiced yoga by myself for most of my life and physical yoga. And I, I was going to these yoga classes because I was lonesome. You know, I worked by, in a studio by myself. I needed a little socialization, and so I would go to these yoga classes. And and one of the teachers stopped me one day a year after my near death, uh, my second one, after my heart attack. And she said, Peter, would you come back to class? And I said, oh, yeah, I would love to, Sharon, but um, I'm practicing on my own. You know, I said that I practiced on my own for decades. She knows. And um, she said, no, you need to come back. I said, why? She said, because because when you practice in the room with us, you change the energy in the room and everybody knows it. 
and everybody mm-hmm. wants you back. And so I, I waited 40 years to, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't know that the Korea was going to work. I didn't know that you could, I didn't know that I could increase the radiance of the divine light around me. And so I didn't want to be a fool. And, you know, oh, you know, I can change my energy and, and then not be able to do it, not be able to. And so I just waited until other people noticed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, I'm not special in that. Okay. It's the practice. It's the, it's the Kriya. It's the practice of the tools. That's why they get handed down because they work. Um, and so I do, I do raise my vibration in my Kriya yoga in order to um, push the light outside out of me. I'm not raising my vibration for, for myself. I'm trying to make it so that others can see it, so they can find it for themselves, because it is them. When I look wow. at somebody, when I look at somebody, when I see in their eyes, I, it's the divine light, it's the it's God in me seeing God in them. It's not me seeing the light. I don't. I'm not even. You know, Peter is present, but it's the when you when you feel that divine energy, it's not because of you. It's because you're not there, it's because your ego is not in the way of who you actually are. And so, with that knowledge, I want to be able to. I want other people to see it as as much as they can, because if they can see it as much as they can. And maybe inside of me or between us, uh, and that's really the way it really works. Is it, it isn't so much that they feel my vibrational level, is that my vibrational level and theirs combine and raise and, and makes makes their experience um, makes it more experiential for them because it's already in them. Um, mm. it's, it's like it's like that that tuning fork thing. If you've ever seen it, if I have a a tuning fork that's C, and you have a tuning fork that's C, and I tap mine and I put them close together, yours starts to vibrate at the same level. And it was always a C. You know, it's always there. It's always there. You are a perfect guide, a beautiful guide for others to learn from and to learn how to cultivate this within, to really build that reservoir of peace. And you, this is a great time to mention a couple of courses that you've got coming up. We're really excited for these. And we're honored to have you teaching these on the New Earth One Network. Peter, you've got your first course on the, on the page here. It says Mastery Empowerment Course Number One. There's one and two. There's two courses coming up. One is Empty Yourself and Illuminate. And this is really where we learn to quiet our minds from language and those thought loops that you talked about, really giving ourselves the training to enter the silence, to really control our thoughts, find peace. And you do this through the tools of Kriya Yoga and Pranayama that you spoke about. So tell us about this course coming up. It's two sessions. You're going to teach us a couple of wonderful things. Yeah, I'm going to teach... uh... Centering prayer, which is the, and I'm going to teach pranayama because pranayama isn't about breath. Um, it, pranayama is about moving energy, and you, the breath is a tool to to move that energy. And uh, I didn't know how to do it when I began. I had an extra dose of I could feel my chi, I could feel my prana, I could feel my chakras. Uh, after my near death experience, I didn't even know what they were. 
because I was raised Catholic and Orthodox, um, didn't know that they existed. And then suddenly there they were. And I took the tools that were available that I found and I practiced the techniques. And I've spent 40 years learning how to put my mind inside my body and, re and feel all of the interior of my body in order to find my subtle body. And that's what um, I'll be teaching with the, the pranayama and the Kriya Yoga and with the centering prayer practice. It's more of what I said earlier today in more detail with both times with some practice to try to give you tools that you can apply to your personal life. You can meditate in your centering prayer, meditate uh, in your daily life. If you uh, want to add some of the technique to your your already existent meditation practice, or if you want to add some of the Kriya Yoga to your Ashtanga or Vinyasa flow or whatever you're doing, you can add these techniques into your yoga practice that you're already doing. And that's actually a, a, the best way to use it. So that's what those classes are about, is to begin to give you tools to, so that you can do this on your own. Because, because, because I'm, 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 I'm a hundred percent, a hundred percent, understanding the truth that this is already inside you and and the all you need to do is is open the door and and keep opening the door and let it come to you and and i want to help give you tools to do that yes perfect so these are two sessions and they are about well, it says 80 minutes here, but you may go a little bit longer if you take some questions or feedback from class participants. So that is beautiful. Now, you said that you see, okay, you've, you've learned to like see the energy in your body, and that helps you find the subtle body. Is there anything more you want to say about that? That's intriguing. Well, I, I learned to... Uh, in my, I did a practice of slow yoga and I learned to find all of my muscles in my body. Mm. Um, the tense, the tense ones and the relaxed ones. And I used my skeletal structure. I could feel my bones. I used my st skeletal structure to support my yoga forms. And then I would use m as little muscle energy as possible to maintain the form and relax all the other muscles. And in the process of learning to see with my mind each individual muscle to relax or to, or to tense or to twist my arm in a certain way in order to use my skeletal structure to support my my asana uh, that's what gave me the 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 ability to begin to feel the subtle body the 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 prana energy body because the practice takes no language and mm -hmm. so it's breath and and body focus. And instead of using a mantra or a chant or a prayer in my physical yoga, I use my I replace my those things with my with my physical body. And I, I put all of my attention into my physical body. And and then once I began that practice, I found that I could drive it into my palms. And once I found that I could drive it into my palms, I could then use my hands and all of my other yoga forms to uh, draw it around my body. And I, I need to let the audience know right now that uh, I'm practicing, uh, I haven't practiced physical yoga in about a year 
due to my life circumstances. Um, but I still use the same techniques inside my, I sit with my, my Kriya Yoga now, uh, and I hope to get back to physical again. I've occasionally in all my 40 years of practice, I've, I've had certain years in my life when my kids were little, I'm not right now I have a granddaughter. That's the same thing. So when my kids were really little, I had to stop my physical yoga because I just did, I couldn't fit everything in. And now I've got, I do a lot of childcare for my granddaughter and it's just, I had to give something up. And so I keep my men, I keep my practice, my physical, my, my yoga breath practice in my sitting, but not my physical yoga so much, which is, you can hear in my voice, like, ah, someday. So, <laughs> but you can still carry oh, yeah, that works. with you. Oh yeah, yes. I, I, like I, instead of meditating six hours a day, we can tap into that in this now moment at oh, any yeah. time. But yeah, well, that's the goal of the six hours. Mm-hmm. If your if your goal is six hours is, you I mean that's what the, that's what you're after. And so I don't meditate six hours a day, and I live in the divine presence. Um, it, it, because I've spent my life time carving a space inside myself. And so it's, it, it, it's a slow process. Uh, it, it, it can be a slow process. You can have the divine grace and get a, get a revelation of, you know, important for your life or, or wisdom or, or something like that, or you have an out of body experience. And that's great. Uh, but that's not the end of practice. That's, uh, that's just a gift along the way. Practice itself, that's the downside of it. That's the hard part of it. The techniques are pretty easy. The uh, the dedication is the hard thing. Yes. The dedication, as with anything like going to the gym and building that so-called muscle. This is our spiritual muscle, and the practice makes it a part of our life and a part of the habits of our life. Perfect. All right. Well, that is available on this webpage. That's Mastery Empowerment Course Number One. It is beautiful. It is empty yourself and illuminate. And there's another one, a second one called Wisdom I Learned in Heaven. And this <laughs> is where you give it all up. It's letting the light in and the power of metaphor, nothing and love. Tell us about this course. Well, uh, what I would like to do is to look at the mystical experience of my near-death experience in detail with uh, the participants in the class and, and answer their questions. And ex- uh, the process of near-death experience reintegration is slow and and it's deep, and there's a lot of aspects of my journey that. I have explored that produced wisdom in my practical life that I don't, you know, I don't really talk. Not, it's not that I'm holding back. It's just basically that I just don't have time to talk about everything. And so this is about, this is an opportunity to talk about some of the other stuff because wisdom is not, wisdom isn't like mathematics. Mathematics, one plus one is two and that's it. Wisdom is, 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 it's one plus one is two times uh, infinity. And so it's, it has so many applications in life and practical life if you spend time to unpack it and see how it can help you 
helped me. That's what it's the wisdom that I got in heaven has helped me in my life. That's really it. It's it's if I God, I don't know what it would have been like without it. It, it would have been without an oxygen tank on an, on Mars, you know, I, it would have killed me. So I've got, I've got wisdom to, to explore out of my near death experience, but also out of my other mystical experiences that, that my NDEs are not the only journeys I've ever taken. Well, this is a beautiful chance to work with you for those who want to learn more and learn these techniques and these tools and this information that you learned in heaven and you put in place in your life. And uh, each of those, again, are available right on this webpage. I love it because, um, you know, we've done something with you in the past and you actually went very long on that. I think it was almost three hours. We're going to include that original course with the purchase of either of these courses. It'll be a bonus for everyone. I just love the the content and the experience in that. And this is a great chance for people to learn about themselves uh, and ask you questions Mm -hmm. about anything that they've experienced as well. Mm -hmm. And we can really determine if we're mystics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I can help with that. Perfect. Well, this is beautiful. And again, you are uh, honoring us by offering these courses, and we thank you for that. And we invite all of our listeners to sign up for this. Everything is recorded, and it's just a beautiful time with Peter Panagor. So let's go to, we have time for a caller. Uh, And I see Linda. It says Bonnie, but I know it's Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Linda. You are unmuted. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. I've been listening. It's a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've had some experiences, and I've I've felt my dad around me quite a bit. Um, And I was closer to my mom, and I haven't felt her as much as I would like. (laughs) Um, but I have felt my dad quite a bit around me. And my I had a, a girlfriend who just passed, and I don't know the circumstances of her. Um, ah, sorry about that. I don't know the circumstances of her passing. And so how long does it usually take on the other side before they are able to present themselves? Or do they just stay around until their funeral? Uh, I think that it depends upon the 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 experiencer. I my dad uh on the night that my great grandmother died, my dad was 12 years old and uh she came to him on the way out the door basically. She died uh stopped by his bedroom down the street, you know, in, in another like the the attic room and uh woke him up and he dashed down the road and it, lo and behold, yes, she had just died. And so that happens. So immediately the I'm not an expert in knowing uh how what the timing of the of the deceased is, but I can tell you through experience that sometimes it's the next day and sometimes it's three weeks later. I don't think that there's a, a time limit on it. I think I think that it depends on the you and the other person. And I don't know why mom doesn't show up and dad does or maybe girlfriend shows up or why like i did a i did a a service uh for a suicide uh, a veteran suicide 
about uh, two years ago and in front of my town and there must have been 600 people there maybe 500 people and it was and i asked because they know me i asked did anybody get visited by by him and the ex-girlfriend from high school had not the significant other with whom he had a baby and you know right why go to the ex nobody knew but but she stood up and she said you know, he came to me and he said that he's sorry, he didn't understand, and that he loves everyone. And, and she specifically mentioned the the uh, the significant other and the child. And it was this, and everybody was crying. Everybody was crying. Everybody knew that it wasn't it wasn't because he picked her over the other. Every it was so it was so plain. I can't even explain why it was so clear. They hugged. It was. And so sometimes the dead come to who you don't expect, and sometimes they don't show up at all. And and my sister, my sister didn't show up to my mother until five years after her death. Okay. Uh, I you know I I don't know that you can. I, I I can't I can't put a time on it, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that love never ever ends. Love does not end. And you can continue to um, talk to your mom and your girlfriend as if they're present uh, and and keep that part of your relationship going uh, because it it love isn't prevented by death. It's this powerful, it's the most powerful thing there is. Uh, that's the best I know. Uh, I One thing I, I try never to do, Linda, is say what I don't know. I don't want to. I I only try to speak through my experience, uh, and and my and if I'm and if I'm if I'm talking about someone else's experience, I'll tell you. And I I just it's beyond me. So maybe somebody else out there will be able to answer your question better than I can. So what exactly did you experience when you went over? And is it was it like a, the white light type of thing that most people see? Or um, I was listening to somebody else today, and they were talking about the three phases: either a ghost, or astral plane, or uh, immediately into the light. I went into the light, and I went into a place of non-being. Uh, okay. I, I went. I I went to a. It's much more than that, but it was. Uh, the light was, it wasn't just light. It was so much more. Um, so I didn't, I didn't encounter any family members. I, nobody met me at the door. Uh, the angel, my angel carried me. Uh, that's who met me at the door. The divine self. The angel is a portion of the divine self. And, and when I was in this state of union, I, all love was present and no love was lost and I lacked nothing and no one. And yet there was no thing there. Um, Just total love and total um, embracing, right? And healing. Like, and healing, okay. Yeah, wholeness and joy and embracing and welcome and and forgiveness and mercy and understanding and I was known I was known like you know when you um I heard this story this this young fellow went out west this weekend and he told me that 
he had worked out, out in, in Big Bear for a season and he used to go to this bar and play, sit down and play the piano. He didn't drink. He'd just go to the bar and play the piano. And he walked in and two years later, he sat down at the piano and he, he was there for the weekend and he started playing the piano and everybody remembered him. And he wow. said, I, that was the most beautiful thing. I was remembered. And that's what the divine is like. You are known. It's more than just being remembered. It's like I remembered who I was. I was never Peter. Uh, I inhabit Peter. I, I'm, I'm not Peter. Uh, I, I've never been Peter. I, I live here now. And when I was dead, I didn't need Peter anymore. Uh, Peter was this, well, it was nothing to me. And because I was myself, I remembered my own self, my higher self, my my true self, and the mm-hmm. and the divine nature showed that to me and and revealed that to me and showed me that I was I was fully known and never not known and nothing hidden. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks again for calling on me. I just enjoy the interaction, and I I feel very blessed that you honored me. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Mm. And I would like to add that keep your um, keep just be aware of your dream space. Just be aware of your dream space, uh, and who knows when those dreams will occur. You know, I had a friend leave two years ago, and I still haven't had a dream about him. Mm. But, um, you know, the dream space is really very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So keep keep a watch on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. God bless both of you. You too. Thank you, Linda. And I'm going to, I concur with you that this, a, a lot of visitations happen in dreams. Yes, it is a visitation. Um, it's beautiful. And I just love for people to share their stories. Those are more stories that people can share because I think if we get that out there, that becomes more mainstream in mm-hmm. people's awareness as well. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Okay. Well, Peter Penagore, thank you so much for being here, sharing this wisdom. We can feel the peace radiating from you. And it brings us hope. It really does. Any last words you'd like to say about our nudges in creating new earth? Give up yourself. If you give up yourself, you'll find yourself. And so the effort to create the new earth isn't so much the work on the outside as it is the work on the inside. And as we, as we, as we, till our own soil we find out that the 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 soil around us we find fertile soil and other people around us and then we get to farm together it's it's really about the interior work of each individual person in a community it with other people even if they're a thousand miles away from you even if you only meet them once and you know that they're doing it too uh because it's it, it transcends individuals, but it only transcends individuals if you're working your garden of your heart. And so that's my little tiny made-up metaphor on the spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
love. Tend That's the garden what, of your heart. Yeah. Tend the garden of your heart, and and you're going to grow all sorts of great things. And it's not about it's not about attaching to anything in the world. It's not it's not the gifts. It's the giver. It's it's the pursuit of the giver, and and then you get all these gifts. They just come. That's it. That is beautiful. Peter Panagore, thank you so much for this quantum conversation and the love and the wisdom of love that you shared with all of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Loren, for having me. And listeners, thank you, too, for opening your hearts even more and radiating your light If you'd like to take those courses with Peter, they are available. Just check out the links on this webpage. And thank you, too, for being just here on this day in our world. You do make a difference. So with that, we invite you to connect with your higher self and dance with us to the cosmic heart. Namaste. conversation and thank you for dancing with us to the cosmic heart as we raise our own vibration we raise the vibration of the planet this show is dedicated to you and all awakening hearts as we are here to shine our bright light and amplify our love access all quantum conversations special offers from our guests and online healing retreats by visiting AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, 
and from my sacred heart to yours, I honor your magnificent love and 